feel like there's a theme to this conversation around people and relationships. And I think agree with Jan fundraising and raising venture and building a diverse team is something I'm also very proud of, but I, I'm really proud of my relationship with Jan, our relationship. Cause to your point earlier, it's, it's like a marriage and you have to work at a marriage and we have our executive coach who helps. And I think for each of us every day, Experienced executives and entrepreneurs, Jan and Kobe, met while working at Trunk Club, a company that pioneered the at-home try-on model for the clothing industry. Together, Jan and Kobe went on to launch Out of Office, an app that gives you personalized travel recommendations from your inner circle. Their complementary skill sets and values have made them incredible business partners, and they both talk extensively about how much they've been able to accomplish as a direct result of the team they've cultivated and the relationships at the core of the business. Coming up, you'll hear how Jan and Kobe first met and how they knew they'd be great business partners. The inspiration behind their travel recommendations app, Out of Office, how Jan and Kobe navigated the daunting task of starting a tech-based business, their firm belief in open communication and how it has strengthened their partnership. And finally, you'll hear their experience fundraising for and marketing out of office. This is the Entreprenista Podcast presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done and what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Jan and Kobe, I am so excited to sit down and have this conversation with the two of you today. You have launched an incredible company that I am so excited to learn more about. And during one of the craziest past few years and somehow you've managed to, to do it all. So I'm excited for the two of you to be here today and to hear your story. Thank you so Thank much you for having us. My first question, how did the two of you meet? Yeah, Kobe and I met while well, working together in 2011, I think is the year when we both joined Trunk Club, started up here in Chicago. We were both um, in the first, call it 20 or so employees. Kobe started about a month or so after I did. And we started on a crazy journey to kind of build Trunk Club together and we're coworkers and then became friends and now co-founders. For those who do not know what Trunk Club is, can you share a little bit about that company and what were your roles there? Sure. We held a variety of different roles. Um, we started on the sales side. We moved into sort of Jan into kind of a training and merchandising role at one point. I went sort of into a leadership role. We both at various times managed big teams, a lot of people management, you know, learned a ton, but it was a great experience. And it was really learning the ropes of being at a startup and, and learning about entrepreneurialism. And what Trunk Club is, or was rather, was it really pioneered the sort of subscription delivery direct to consumer model. And so it was a service. It started as exclusively for men and you could sign up and you would essentially get paired with a stylist and that stylist would select clothes for you, send them to you in a box. You could 
take what you wanted and keep what you wanted and send the rest back. And, and again, that was really the first company that kind of pioneered that model. And it was subsequently in 2014 acquired by Nordstrom. And so we were there for the acquisition and then subsequent scale. And tell me what happens next. So did you stay at Trunk Club or you both went your separate ways before deciding to start this business together? We both we both stayed at Trunk Club. I was there about six and a half years. Kobe is like right around seven years. So we stayed for the long haul. So the, through everything, like Kobe mentioned, through like rapid growth, through the acquisition and subsequent scale. So true end to end kind of entrepreneurial experience that really think, at least for me, and I can probably speak for Kobe, got us really, really excited about being future entrepreneurs in our own one day. It really solidified that that was something that I wanted to do with my career for sure. Where did the idea for Out of Office come from? Yeah, we had the idea. It's funny, while we were both at Trunk Club. So we were still at Trunk Club. We've been working on really long hours and crazy for those seven years. And we kind of came up with the idea and said, we were traveling often. We were oftentimes traveling together. What we found was there's just this really daunting process of planning travel. And so we said, there's got to be a better solution. We spent our whole careers optimizing for that consumer experience, making things accessible to people that were previously inaccessible. And so we said, how do we bring this to travel? And so we actually named it Out of Office while we were still at Trunk Club. Started to talk to a lot of our kind of community and our friends in the VC space. And then ultimately said, let's pump the brakes for a minute here and make sure this is what we want to do next. And so I went and took a job on the executive team at a company called Havenly, another startup as their vice president of revenue, where I really kind of oversaw innovation and strategy. And really glad that's what I went and did next. Needed to go do that to really kind of solidify what was for me. And I'll let Kobe obviously speak about what she did in the interim as well. Yeah. So after Trunk Club, like Jan said, I was there seven years. When I left, I had joined the executive team, which was a great, again, sort of learning lesson and experience for me. And then I took a little time off. I was consulting for a few companies here in Chicago, and I ended up consulting for a company called Cameo. And at the time, they were about 10 people. It was before they raised a Series A. And then they brought me on to their executive team. I oversaw uh, the talent org. So essentially not internal talent, but the supply side of the marketplace, the celebrities and influencers that were on the Cameo platform. So all of this time, the two of you remained friends. You had this idea for out of office while you were at Trunk Club. You've both gone on to take these <laughs> other jobs that you're working on. Are you now like working nights and weekends on out of office and still talking about, you know, how to build this business? What was that process like? Yeah, so we both ended up leaving our companies in right before the pandemic. So I left a little bit before COVID started, Jan a little later than me, and we had this time and I had just had my second child, so I was taking a little time off. Jan was doing some consulting for various companies, and I think the idea had really crystallized for us a few years prior. Like Jan mentioned, we had talked about it while we were at Trunk Club. And then we were on this trip in London. It was 2018 and it was a total mess. We were texting people for recommendations for London. We created a Google spreadsheet. We had all the places. And even with all of this going on, and we thought we were being organized, we still managed to miss a reservation for a high tea in London, which we were so bummed about. And I think it was then we were like, okay, we had this idea years ago. It's still a problem. There's no good solution. And that's when we really decided to do it. So when we were both sort of, you know, not working, 
we thought this is the perfect time. There's never going to be an opportunity where both of us aren't working in full-time roles. And I think it was really challenging. I think the big thing, the reason maybe that we hadn't started it sooner is I was always sort of daunted with figuring out how do you start a company? It's like, I need to have an income. So, but like starting a company requires so much time. So sort of figuring out how to do that was sort of a non-starter. And I think we were able to figure that out. Like I said, Jan did consulting. I did some consulting as well. And we worked, we did work nights and weekends and whenever, you know, we could fit it in. And then we were able to sort of get the business off the ground by doing, by doing it that way. For our listeners who do not know what out of office is, can you explain a little bit about what the app is and who should download and use it? Well, everyone should download and use it for sure. Obviously. Um, <laughs> obviously. But no, it is a um, social travel recommendations platform, right? We're solving that problem that Kobe just highlighted, which was, I want to be able to plan a trip. I want to be able to get good recommendations of where to go when I'm in Italy or where I want to go to the next dinner in my home state or when I'm on the road. But I want those from trusted people that matter to me, friends, family, influencers that I consider a part of kind of my community and my network. And how do we aggregate all those recommendations in one place, allow you to interact with those um, recommendations, subsequently then plan travel as well and collaborate on travel with friends, family, and then ultimately book as well. So truly an end-to-end platform where you can kind of do everything around travel that's centered around those personalized recommendations. We talk a lot about places like Yelp or TripAdvisor and those things can be helpful, but they're so impersonal Mm -hmm. and there's no way for you to calibrate your taste on those kind of sites. And so we solve that without a office. So how does it work in order for me to be able to get recommendations for my friends, I would have to download the app and then tell my friends to start using it as well. So they're all sharing their recommendations too. Yeah. Out of office is definitely predicated on this network of people you trust. Mm -hmm. And so when you download the app and if you connect your contacts, we can pull through and say, okay, you've already have four friends that are on out of office. Follow those friends. And then we can also surface people that might have similar taste and travel as you. But ideally, yeah, you want to follow your friends. You want to follow those people you trust. And then so you can create a trip within the app and you can bring your friends along. If you're going to, you know, St. Bart's with five of your friends, you can create a trip within out of office. You can add your friends to that trip. You guys can all you know, dump the places that you want to go and then start to plan and ultimately book within the app. It's an end-to-end platform, like Jen said. Kobe, I want to go back to something that you mentioned a few moments ago when you said you weren't sure like how you can just start a business. My question is, how did you both just start a business? Like what were those early planning sessions and meetings like together? How did you decide who was going to be responsible for what? Because I know so many of our listeners are thinking about starting a business and trying to figure out that exact question right now. Like, where do you just start? Like, how do you just go? What did you guys do? I know. And it really is daunting because, you know, I think we were fortunate to have come from startups and Mm -hmm. to have had some mentors that we could lean on and we could ask questions and that we could sort of figure out, okay, what do we do now? Like, how do we start this? We need a lawyer. What does a lawyer do? And so I think it was sort of, it takes a village, right? And so it's surrounding yourself with people that can really help you 
in this journey. And so that was, like I said, finding a great, you know, startup attorney that could really lead us in that process. It was, you know, having relationships previously with people, maybe in the venture community that could, you know, give us some good advice as it, as it dealt with raising capital. But I think for us, how it really started was having a lot of conversations about, okay, we want to do this and getting aligned on that, getting aligned on what the business would look like. Who were we targeting? What was our mission? What were we trying to solve? And then from there, we were able to really start figuring out, okay, we know the problem. We know how we want to solve it. Now we got to get, again, get a great team on board that can really help us build. Jan, has anything changed from the idea that you first had and what you thought out of office was going to be. And now after like getting going with the business and doing some user testing, like have things changed as to what the company is now versus what you thought it was going to be when you started? Yeah, that's a great question. I'd say largely no, in the most like clear way, our vision has remained the same. The problem we're solving is the same. Our target audience is the same how we do things constantly evolves. Mm-hmm. I think what Kobe and I have learned throughout the course of the past couple of years and then in our experience and kind of our careers in general is you've got to be flexible with how you execute and the things that you kind of believed yesterday might not be relevant tomorrow. And I think that's something that we constantly kind of go back to. You know, we talk about when do we add this feature? We have a thousand features we want to add. The app is about a quarter of our vision for the entire company. But like, when do you start to pull that trigger? When do we need to test into X, Y, Z? And we kind of have a great push and pull with these things, which is, I think, the important part about having a co-founder and a partner that can kind of balance each, we balance each other out, right? We kind of keep each other very level when one's high, one's low and vice versa. Courtney and I always share all the time that having being in a business partnership has been so instrumental to the success we've had with all of the different businesses that we've started together. But there have been so many learning lessons along the way because having a business partner is essentially like a marriage. You know, there you're doing. You might even be spending more time together than than with a partner. I can actually attest to back when Courtney and I worked in an office, like I would spend more time with with Courtney than than with my husband. We were together all day long, you know, building and doing everything together. And having any type of relationship, it's really important to, you know, have boundaries and set expectations and make sure that you're going into your relationship with, you know, eyes wide open and you're prepared for anything that can happen. I would love to hear from the two of you in terms of setting up your initial partnership, if there are initial learnings that you've had and things that you would share to founders who are thinking about starting a business with a partner. Yeah, I think for me, at least I can, Kobe, obviously feel free to jump in. I feel like you know, the nice thing for Kobe and I is that we were coworkers for seven years and we started off as coworkers before becoming friends. And so we know exactly how each other work. We know our strengths, our weaknesses. We know the things that we're really great at and, and the things we need help in and that are challenges. And so I think that is like a very great foundation for kind of building out of office in this partnership in general. And I think it's really important. I don't think there's anyone else actually could say that there is no one else that I want to start a company with except for Kobe, because we knew exactly what we were getting into, right? We were in the trenches at a high paced startup that got, went through an acquisition working long days. And so we knew who we were. And so that made this working relationship and this dynamic really, really easy. And we often say it's our superpower um, is our relationship and our 
ability to work together. We, you know, we work with a executive coach, um, mm-hmm. which is, she's amazing and fantastic. And Kobe always jokes that she is like our marriage counselor. Yes. Um, she helps us work out mm-hmm. the tough stuff and, and the things that are challenging are on our mind. And, and it's a constant kind of center of our relationship, which is really, really important that we have kind of open lines of communication. Yeah, I would agree. The communication is critical, right? And so like any relationship, if you aren't communicating open and honestly, you know, there's going to be fractures in the relationship and those will build over time and there'll be resentment and it'll fester. And so I think our superpower is our relationship, but it's also because we're so open and honest with one another, the communication is really the sort of foundation of our relationship. So if something bothers me or bothers Jan, we talk it out right away. We like hash it out and then we move on. And then I think we're so much better because of that. Those are such great tips. And I couldn't agree more. Courtney and I also talk about this all the time, open communication and Mm -hmm. working with a business coach. It took us a few years before we found our business coach, Leslie, and she like really changed everything for us, like teaching us how to have these, you know, open conversations and talking about what's important and things that, you know, if you don't like something, like, like you said, just have a conversation about it right away. You don't have to let it, let things fester. And for Courtney and I, we started our businesses in our early 20s. So we didn't really, you know, we didn't have the, you know, advantage. I feel like the two of you had, you'd work together Mm -hmm. for seven years. Courtney and I were friends first for a year before we started our business. And I think a lot of times, you know, people start businesses with friends, with people they've worked with. And, you know, having that, you know, almost decade long of experience partnered together, working together, it's definitely, like you said, an amazing superpower of yours. Any other advice you can share for those who are thinking about starting a business with a partner, any other learning lessons? I think you just have to make sure that you truly, to the point that we just all made, which is you have to know the person that you're getting into business with. You know, Kobe and I recently both read the book Burn Rate by Andy Dunn, and he talks a little bit about the fear around having a co-founder and what that looks like and the challenges that it faces. And I would say I definitely would never want to be on this journey alone. I think having a co-founder and having someone that's in the trenches with you is really, really important. And it can be really, really helpful if you find that right person. But take the time to do the dating that you need to do. It's the same thing as a relationship. You have to get to know each other. You have to get out of the honeymoon phase of this person so smart and inspiring, but how do they work? What do they want to do? What's my role in this? What's your role? Who's got the balance of which part of power at certain times? And I think you have to iron all of that out really, really early and know that it's going to evolve and it's going to change. But knowing that kind of you set the foundation and the groundwork for that relationship is really, really critical. Great point. Do you have job descriptions for the two of you and what you're each responsible for? Yeah, it's funny. You stole that right out of my mouth because I was thinking, I feel like the other part of that is it is so important to know which areas of the business, which functions each of you will own if you're in a partnership. Mm -hmm. And that's where it can just be, you know, it can get a little messy if you're both trying to oversee the same thing and you don't know who's sort of taking the lead. I think that is another important part is really defining, okay, this is what I'll oversee. This is what you'll oversee. And then, you know, obviously there will be things that you work on together, but um, having owners and stakeholders is really important. And so for me and Jan, um, you know, I oversee sort of marketing, revenue, partnerships, sort of the um, brand 
that side operations. And Jan is over technology and product and HR and finance. And so we, you know, we have very dis- distinct roles. And, and I think it also probably helps our team, right? And we would never want to put our team in a place where they, you know, don't know who to turn to, or, mm-hmm. you know, they're feeling like they're stuck in the middle. And I think having those clear lines and swimming lanes really helps that for everyone. Jan and Kobe, I would love to hear about your fundraise. I know firsthand raising funding is not an easy task. It is another full-time job. And there are so many learning lessons that we can all learn from each other and our experiences. So Jan or Kobe, I don't know who wants to take this one to start, but (laughs) if you could walk me through really your fundraising plan, walk through, you know, how you went about it and some learning lessons, I think that would be really helpful for our listeners. Yeah, I think um, it was an interesting time, right? As as we mentioned earlier, Kobe and I started this company really talking about out of office in earnest in March of 2020. The borders had just closed. Um, you couldn't travel and it was like two weeks to flatten the curve. And so we were like, wow, let's go ahead and build a travel company in the midst of a global pandemic. Like that's the smartest thing to do. Yeah, obviously. And like, we could, <laughs> yeah, and we could raise money. Like, great, great. We both knew we needed an income. We definitely knew we had some savings that we could like let, let rest on for a bit. But we were like, Raising money is going to be super easy. And we always joke that I think it's an unfortunate thing in the venture world that, you know, Kobe and I, for all intents and purposes, were born on third base, right? We spent years of our careers in these high performing startups that went through acquisitions, that went through major fundraises. So we had a front row seat to what it's like to fundraise and build a business. And it was still really, really challenging. We had the network in front of us. We had all the connections, but you kind of don't know where to start. And I think what I learned really early on, and I think I could probably speak for Kobe as well, is the amount of no's that you have to get to get to a yes, it's incredible. And how many conversations that you need to have to get people excited about what you're building for them just to kind of shit on your idea and say, this isn't the best idea. These are all the people that have done it before. This is why it's not going to work. You have to really kind of hunker down and say, I'm going to get over all of that and believe in my vision far more than than all these other people. And then I know if I can just find one person that gets on board, one person to hear my vision, to believe in Kobe and I, that we will make a difference in this world. And so that's what we went and did. We just started to have conversations. We painted our vision. And for us, the important thing was we had an idea. We had zero revenue. We didn't have a team. Kobe and I were not technical co-founders. And so we had a lot of gaps to fill. And so we said, how do we present this vision in a way and bring a team of people along with us that can actually execute what we want to build. And that's what we did. So we started kind of the simultaneous process of building out out of office on paper, hiring um, two people to help us, an engineer and a head of product to help build the business while building an MVP while also fundraising. So we had a lot of irons in the fire at the same time. And we kind of divided and conquered and figured out how we would do it all. Dividing and conquering is definitely the name of the game. So you are not both doing the exact same thing. I think that goes back to what we were just talking about before in the previous segment, figuring out who is doing what. So how did you afford to be able to bring on an engineer or bring people on to help building it out before you fundraise? Were you bootstrapping, you know, the salaries of the initial people that you brought on? That's a great question. No, we could not afford to bootstrap and sort of pay them 
So what we did is we found two amazing leaders, Branson, who's our head of product, and Alex, who's our CTO. And they both were, you know, excited about what we were building, wanted to join and help us build that MVP. And so they stayed at their jobs and sort of helped us on nights and weekends. Mm -hmm. And we came to an agreement whereby we would give them equity once that would become much more meaningful once we raised a round. And once we raised that round, they would then join us full time. And so we, you know, again, we couldn't afford to pay them their salaries, but we were fortunate to find great individuals who are so talented and were really bought into what we were building and excited about the product we were building and could help us. And then, you know, again, once we raised that round, they were able to join us full time. How did you figure out how to set up that equity agreement with these two individuals? Is this something you worked on with your business attorney Mm -hmm. or based on your experience from working at Trunk Club and being involved in these high growth startups? Did you already have an understanding of how to structure these type of equity agreements with uh, future employees? It's funny. I would say that like in my head, I was like, yeah, Kobe, I've done this. We've been a part of companies. We know what equity looks like. This is super easy. And then you get into the trenches and you're like, I actually have no clue how this all works. There's so many nuances. It's so much more challenging and complicated than I ever would have imagined. And are we making the right decision? Because these are decisions that we will have to live with for the future of our company. And so I think it became this process of let's go and find the right people, right? We went to everyone in our network. We went to our friends that worked at VCs. Mm-hmm. So what does this look like? We went to our founders. I went to my former um, boss at Havenly, Lee, who's the founder of Havenly, um, who has been through this. And I said, what did you do? And I took, we took all these bits and pieces from other people. And then we made a decision around what do we want our company to look like? What are the things we want to do differently? We brought in that attorney and said, how do we structure this? And so we kind of used all of these different proof points of people who've been there before us, who've done it before us, who have some advice. And then we made our own decisions about what we wanted that to look like. And, you know, some of the decisions, we followed a lot of people's advice and then we bucked the trend on some things because we wanted to build a different organization. We wanted to do things a little bit differently. Jan, can you share some of the advice that you were given by people in your network, just so our entrepreneurs can have an understanding of like, what can be standard or typical? Is it, you know, giving away 1%, 5%, how many hours are you expecting this person to work and how much time to put in? Because as you shared, and as we know, these are really big decisions early on in a company when you're giving away equity in your business, they have to be extremely well thought through and documented mm-hmm. properly. So yeah, what was some of the advice that you were given? And if you're comfortable sharing, you know, how you made the final decision of what you were willing to offer? Yeah, I think, you know, we realized that we were in a place where we had didn't have a ton of negotiating power, right? We needed someone to build this. We needed a technical person to come and build. We needed someone to design it because those are, again, two skill sets Kobe and I didn't have. And I think we actually bucked the trend a bit. I think a lot of people thought we were being too generous with the equity we were offering for the work and the time that people were putting in. But it was important to us to make people feel bought in and that the work that they did was actually going to be valuable and it was going to help us raise that round of capital, right? And I think largely it did. So we definitely gave out a bit more equity than I think a lot of people would have advised that early on. And it was risky, but we said, you know, we have some, you know, you look at the structure of it, you have essentially still a year vest and then a year cliff and then a four year vest. And so we still had some control to get that back if it didn't work, but we wanted to really invest in these people. We want to show them that like, this was something we believed in. We believed that this had legs for the long term, And so we just took some bets and we provided Alex and, and Branson with some great equity and some great visibility in the company. And we wanted to bring them on as really kind of 
partners to us and the skill sets that we didn't have. And I would say I wouldn't change anything for the world. I think, again, a lot of people said, you guys are giving out way too much equity. We had someone look at it and say, you're giving out double the equity that I would ever have told you to give out. And I think today it's sort of challenging when you're putting your cap table together after a seed round and you've given out a lot up front, but the value that they've added to the company and to getting us to the place we are, it was worth every single penny. So let's go back now to the fundraise. You have these two team members involved. So you feel you can build the MVP and now go out for this race because you have all the skill sets together with the four of you now. Walk me through what that initial process was like. It's now the middle of 2020. The world has literally shut down. You're building this travel company and going out to VCs to raise money. And what are you telling them? What What's the pitch? <laughs> yeah, I think we were fortunate and like Jan said, we were doing this in tandem, right? So we were fundraising while we were building. And mm. that really helped because we had tried to sort of go out and sell the dream about what we would build without an actual product. And I think we realized this is going to be much more successful if we have something to show these investors. And so we kind of paused the fundraise. We had already at that point had about half a million committed from angel investors, which was mm -hmm. great. But we wanted to raise a larger round. And so what we did is built that MVP. And that's when we brought on Alex and Branson to help us. And then we went back out and picked it back up. And it was really, um, you know, casting a wide net. It was finding all the investors that were investing in we called it our pre-seed round, mm -hmm. you know, consumer in technology, um, people who invested in, made it a point to invest in women and minorities. And again, just cast it a wide net. And like Jan said, we had to sort of have a lot of conversations to get to, you know, one yes. And we learned a lot of, uh, along the way. I think we learned, you know, what resonated. We learned the structure of, of our pitch and, and what we should lean into, what pieces of information the investors would get excited about. And that's really how we structured it. And then we, you know, we found our lead investor who's amazing, who invested in our pre-seed round. And we filled that in with, like I said, that the, the angel checks that we had already had committed. And that's really how that first round came together. What was the structure of the pitch that worked for you? You said you kind of learned what worked and what didn't work as you were having these different conversations. So any tips you can share about like what did work? Yeah, it's, it's funny. I think we got, again, listening to advice from other folks, we got some advice that was like only one person should be in that pitch. You both don't need to do it. Having two co-founders in a pitch is really challenging. And Kobe and I sat down and talked about it. And that doesn't feel right to us. We're doing this. We are partners together. We have such a great rapport that like, let's go and figure this out. And so we sat down, we built out our pitch deck, and then we started to practice. And we said, okay, when these kind of questions come up, Jan, this is what you own. When these questions come up, Kobe, this is what you own. This is a part of the deck that is your process. We know exactly if someone's asking about revenue or marketing, it's Kobe. If someone's asking about fundraising or team, it's me. And we just knew exactly who was doing what. And we got into this really good cadence and a really good rhythm, but it took like a lot of practice. And I'm sure we fell down a few times or messed it up from here to there. But for the most part, we stayed really focused on owning kind of whose lanes or what. And so it makes our lives so much easier, even to this day, when we're in meetings or with our investors, we still use that same cadence and that's who owns what. And what was your outreach strategy like? Was it sending emails, getting introductions? Are there certain things that you said in emails that would work to get a response? What was that process like? 
Yeah, I think it was everything. <laughs> it was all the things. <laughs> I think where where we could, we tried to find a warm introduction. And so we would, you know, again, we kind of started with, okay, let's start a list of all the funds we want to reach out to. Let's find an investor at that fund. Let's see if we can find a connection on LinkedIn. And then let's see if that connection on LinkedIn can introduce us. And if not, we'll do a cold outreach. But I think what we found is, you know, it's like Jan said earlier, we felt like we started on third base and it was still very hard. Mm -hmm. But what we mean is, you know, we had been in sort of the startup tech consumer scene for the last decade. And being at these companies, we had forged relationships with people who had then gone on to, you know, start at venture funds or start their own companies and they knew investors. And so we were able to leverage a lot of those relationships as a way to make connections, I think. And Jan also kind of touched on this, but we were also fortunate to have worked with some great founders that were really helpful. You know, Brian Spaley at Trunk Club and Lee Mayer at Havenly and Stephen Galanis at, at Cameo, all of them were really helpful. And I think they were really critical to us raising that round. And then, you know, again, when we didn't have a connection that could introduce us, that's when we would do an outreach. I know, you know, sometimes it was like, okay, let's see if they're on Instagram or let's mm -hmm. see if they're on Twitter <laughs> and, and maybe we can, you know, reach out to them that way. But our preference was always, let's see if we can find a, a connection and try and get introduced via a warm introduction. Yeah, such great advice. And Twitter, I will say there is a whole DC startup scene on Twitter. It's it's <laughs> happening really over is. on Twitter, everyone. So it really get is. on over there for sure. Yeah. Tell me what the feeling was like when you finally found your lead investor, you got a yes, <laughs> and you knew you were off to the races. I think it was it was one of the most kind of rewarding feelings, I think, in my career to date. Kobe and I had started this thing and and just thought like, let's just put our heads down and figure it out. When you get that first kind of big check in, you get some validation for there's something here. People are believing in us. Like, let's go and make people really excited and proud of what we're building. And I think the other thing I would add to kind of to the previous question is like, when you go through this process, right, you talk to a lot of people and you sometimes become desperate for money. You're like, I just want one yes. I don't really care who it is. And we talked to a lot of really amazing people that passed. We talked to some people that were interested that we didn't have genuine connections with, that we didn't actually feel like we the right person for a cap table. And that's a really hard decision to make, right? To walk away from potential money or to walk away from someone who doesn't treat you the right way or speaks down to you. And those were all things that we kind of had to, to talk about of, well, we need money, but how desperately do we want that money? And what does that money come with if it's with strings attached? And we made sure that we didn't kind of go down that path, that we put people around the cap table that we thought would truly believe in us to be truly, truly helpful in our journey. Which is so, so important. And remind me, Jen, how much did you raise in this round? Yeah, our pre-seed round, we raised, raised right around $1.6 And so it was a larger round than even I think we both anticipated raising so early. But again, I think we just got that momentum after we got those angels and that first investor and got people excited. And we said, this is going to help us change the way people travel mm. and truly build out the team and the organization that we wanted. And so we, we went for it. When, when the money was there with the right people, we, we took that leap. All right, Jan. So now you raise this round, you have capital to be able to hire a team. And I know it has been extremely important to both you and Poby to really build a diverse team that really reflects what the world looks like. You're, you are also both 
female founders in the tech industry. So tell me how you've gone about building your team. Yeah, I think for us, it was really, really important to build something that was different than what we saw in the companies we worked at before. We both worked for amazing companies with amazing teams, but we were oftentimes like the only women in the room at the leadership table, or I was oftentimes the only black woman at that table. And so I wanted to make sure that as we grew out this organization, that we provided opportunities for people that didn't actually always get to have seats at the tables, that didn't always have the opportunity to work for startups, that didn't have the opportunity to be that one person in the room. And how do you make that feel inclusive and diverse while also attracting the best talent? And so early on, we said, let's be thoughtful and hire the right people for the right opportunities and not just the first person that comes along, not just our network of people that look like us and act like us and talk like us. Let's be thoughtful here. And so that was really, really important. And I think I'll let Kobe can chat through that kind of our first team and our first hires. But I think to date, we've been knock on wood, largely successful in making that team diverse and interesting. Yeah. So like we mentioned, our very first hires were Branson and Alex who oversee tech and product. And they're incredible. And, and bringing them on first was, was critical to our success. After that, we started working with some freelance individuals and then realized, okay, this probably could be a full-time role. And so one of the first freelance individuals we brought on was someone that could oversee social. And then that role ultimately ended up being a full-time role. But even before that, we hired a director of engineering. Tech is obviously, we're a technology platform. So tech is important. And, and our team is, you know, largely consists of people on product and on tech. And so it's really been, you know, engineering hires. And then on the marketing side, we have someone, like I said, who oversees social and sort of our content strategy. And then we have someone who oversees our influencer strategy, which is really our acquisition strategy and really important. And then we have a handful of people who sort of freelance and work with us, whether they're travel editors or helping on um, partnership and high-level marketing strategy. And then soon we'll be hiring for a director of brand marketing role, which is really our first senior marketing hire. And we're excited about that role. Kobe, Jan, can you share with me, are there specific business tools or solutions that you're using for hiring? I know hiring for diversity is extremely important to you. So how do you go about this process? Yeah, I think a lot of it for us has been, we're trying to be as organic and natural as possible, right? We're using our networks or the friends around us and asking and just digging into those places. You know, we haven't used a ton of tools or resources to date. We're getting to a place where that's going to make them more important. We just hired someone through a recruiting firm because engineers are hard to come by. And so we're using that as kind of a tool and a resource when applicable, when you can afford it. We do have some money in the bank. It's an expensive kind of undertaking. But outside of that, I'd say we just spend a lot of time through our networks. We spend a lot of time doing things like podcasts and mm -hmm. talking to people and putting ourselves out there so people get the word out about out of office and then we can attract the right kind of talent and we can start to look at who is the best fit for these jobs. Who's got a unique and interesting experience that can add to our team and who we can learn from. I would also add, and this might be obvious, but LinkedIn is such a great tool. And I think even just paying a little bit each month for the premium version one person we brought on recently came from Goop. And I think I really admire what Goop has done. And I always looked at their Goop guides as sort of the pinnacle of travel guides. And so I thought, 
we should bring someone on that used to work at Goop or does work at Goop and, you know, has written their their travel guides. And so I went down a LinkedIn rabbit hole and sort of filtered to worked at Goop, started looking through the list. And I found someone that was a travel editor at Goop for four years. She's no longer there. And I reached out to her, sort of cold reach out LinkedIn. And now she's one of our travel editors. And so I think you don't have to pay for great tools. I think LinkedIn can be such a great resource and, you know, identifying the sort of candidate you want, whether that's a skill set or or experience, and then filtering for that on LinkedIn. And then, you know, just sending some good old cold outreach can be just as successful as anything else. If Courtney was here right now, she would love having this conversation with you because <laughs> she is obsessed with LinkedIn and LinkedIn yeah. recruiter and reaching out to people that way. And we've had tremendous success using LinkedIn for recruiting as well. Kobe, what are some of the messages you've sent to get people to reply? Like, is it a short little, you know, sentence just saying, hey, we'd love to chat with you? Or do you give a lot of information about the business? Like what makes someone reply to that LinkedIn message? Yeah, that's a great question. I think generally, I would say short and sweet is better. I think a few lines on what we're building, a few lines on either me and Jan or our investors. So, you know, we have the former COO of Bumble as an investor. We have Brian Kelly, who is the points guy. We have some cool mm-hmm. investors, Katie Storino, who's a entrepreneur and influencer. And we were able to sort of highlight those people. So, you know, to give us a little more, I think, credibility. But yeah, just sort of keeping it short and sweet. What out of the office is, who we are, who our investors are, and then why I think or we think this candidate would be such a great fit to join out of office. And Kobe, quick question about your influencer strategy. Can you share with me what is working for you right now with influencer marketing? Because I know there's a lot of testing that has to be done. Algorithms change all the time. Strategies can look different. Like what's working right now for you? Yeah, it's so true. It's changes all the time and you're kind of beholden to whatever platform your influencers are sort of sharing their message on, which can be complicated. I think for us, what's interesting about sort of influencer marketing at Out of Office is it's not just an influencer is telling you to buy something. It is an influencer is telling you, download this free app so that you can interact with the content I've created. Mm-hmm. And it's not dissimilar actually to what I did at Cameo, which was, you know, we brought on these content creators or, or celebrities and they created cool, compelling content on, on Cameo and then shared that out with their followers. And then their followers came along as sort of users of Cameo. And so we've taken a similar approach, which is we partner with influencers and they create their travel content within out of office. So Instead of, you know, following an influencer and having to screenshot an Instagram story where they tag a hotel or tag a restaurant or maybe having to DM that influencer and and say, hey, you were just in Italy, remind me of the hotel you stayed at. You can find them in out of office and you can see all their recommendations that live in perpetuity in out of office. And I think for the influencers, it's great because they don't have to respond to hundreds of DMs saying, wait, what was that restaurant you went to in Paris? Or what's your favorite place in New York? They can just send those people to out of office and it makes everyone's life easier. And then from there, 
you know, you can save those places. You can make a reservation through the out-of-office platform. So it just makes it so much easier to have it all in one place instead of, you know, saving Instagram posts or creating notes on your phone. And largely our influencers are on Instagram. So we work a lot with influencers via Instagram stories. And then also on TikTok. And I think TikTok Mm -hmm. is really interesting. We talk a lot about travel talk, which is, you know, a big sort of area that I think TikTok has sort of capitalized on. And so we work with influencers who are on TikTok and, and can create compelling content via video and then share that out to their followers. Thank you for sharing that, Kobe. That's super helpful. And Jan, I realized I didn't even ask either of you this question early on in this interview. What is the monetization strategy for this business? <laughs> That's a great question. I think we, we when we talk about fundraising, that was like the first question yeah. most people asked. And we'd always say, and to this day, we say we have a great monetization strategy. We have a lot of things that are coming down the pike. But what we were focused on early on and really for even the next year is creating a network of people, right? You think about these businesses, we liken it a lot. So like an Instagram, Instagram would have said, come and buy something from me in 2011 when no one knew what the platform was or how you interact with it. You probably would have said no and it probably would have been the success that it is today. And so we look at this, we have a monetization strategy, right? We love democratizing access to things that were originally um, really challenging. So it was a personal stylist at Trunk Club. It was an interior designer at Havenly and it was a celebrity at Cameo. And so how do you bring that into the travel world, right? How do you give access to something like a travel agent that's based on your um, interactions with an out of office, all the things that you've saved to be able to book a really nice trip? That's probably coming down the pike in the future. But for now, we're highly, highly focused on creating the network, building a place where people can save that content, interact and plan trips with people Mm -hmm. and then pull you through the rest of it as we continue to grow. All right, Jan Covey, this is probably my favorite segment. I'm going to ask you both a few rapid fire questions. So the first word or words that come to your mind, are you ready? Ready. I know you weren't prepared for this, but here we go. All right, Jan, describe Kobe in three words. Smart, loyal, and empathetic. Same question to you, Kobe. Describe Jan in three words. Confident, loyal, and smart. And besides out of I office, stole to, I stole oh, two of yours. <laughs> yeah, you, Sorry, can't, really, you can't say the same thing, Kobe. <laughs> but it's true. You are it's what, those things. That's why you're great business partners, right? Yeah, <laughs> it is. This is a question for both of you. What is your favorite app on your phone that you can't live without? Of course, out of office. So that's a given. But anything else? Favorite app on your phone that you can't live without? That's a great question. I mean, I hate like TikTok is probably my newest obsession right now. I spend far too many hours between like 11 and midnight just getting useless information off TikTok. So I probably should live without it. I just don't currently. (laughs) Yeah, I would say Instagram for me. (laughs) I know you need it for life and for business. All right. Very, very important question. Coffee or tea? Jan, you're first. (laughs) Neither. I really only drink water or wine. Like Jesus. (laughs) Kobe, how about you? Water, coffee, or tea? (laughs) Coffee, iced all year long. I'm with you on that. All right. Jan, what is your favorite travel destination? 
My favorite place that I probably go the most frequently is Italy. I love Italy a lot. There's just so much there. You can get beach towns, you can get wine, you can get history, you get it all. And so that's probably my favorite place. And then there's thousands of places I've never been that I need to go to. I have a whole list. Kobe, how about you? I would say St. Bart's is heaven. I just love it so much. All right. Well, we're all going to have to download uh, download out of office and find out where all of your picks and recommendations are, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Final question. What is your favorite business tool or solution that has really helped you grow your business? You know, that's a good question. I don't know if I if I have a tool or solution that would help grow the business. It's going to go back to what we said earlier, but I think it's Kobe. I think having a partner who can, again, balance me out, who can challenge me, who can call me on my bullshit is really, really important in us growing this business. And so while there's tools and there's things that you can buy, I don't think that you could ever replace the human element. And that's exactly what Kobe is for me. Well, I don't want to steal Jan's answer. (laughs) But I would build on tables. Great. (laughs) Clavio. I would say it's our, it's our team. It's everyone, right? It's Jan. It's all of our engineers. It's, we have a good friend who helps us with our influencer strategy. Mm -hmm. She's been sort of critical in these very early days of sort of helping us build that up when I think, I don't know if people otherwise would have taken a bet on us. So it's sort of, it's all of us and it's this team we've created. And I think Jan and I, like I mentioned, we've been people managers and leaders for so long. And I think people, we're in the business of people and, and our team is so important to us. And so it, it's, it's all of us. Absolutely. Jan, what are you most proud of to date? Yeah, I'm just proud of all the work that the out-of-office team has done. And I think for me personally, starting on this journey, I was in, you know, the first hundred black women to ever raise over a million dollars of venture capital. And it's a point of pride for me, but it's also something that it's a little bit depressing, the fact that it was 2020 or 2021, and that that was the case out of the billions of dollars that get deployed to venture capital every single year. And so while I'm proud of that, what I'm most proud of is the ability that Kobe and I are creating something and our team is creating something, a company that will hopefully change that dynamic mm-hmm. and that we will get to bring other people along on this journey and give other people access to our networks and all the things that we had with that kind of being born on third base, that we can help other people get to where we've been. It's, you know, the venture community is challenging mm-hmm. and the profile of who's successful in the venture world from a founder perspective looks really, really homogenous. It's, you know, it's a lot of white men who come from certain backgrounds, Ivy League schools, they have X amount of dollars in the bank. And that doesn't have to be the case. I don't mm-hmm. think that they should have the core on the market. And so making sure that as we continue to grow this business and raise money and become more prominent in this world, that we give other people the opportunity to do the same is a point of pride for me, that it's an opportunity that we have in front of us. Well, first, congratulations, because it is so incredible what you've been able to accomplish in such a short time already. And your willingness to want to continue to make impact and help others. And it's really incredible. And I'm just so excited to continue to be a cheerleader on the side here, helping with anything we can do to, to get the word out about, about your business and, and your fundraise. And, you know, again, of course, anything that we can do through our entrepreneurista community to help, we're, we're always here to support. Kobe, how about you? Is there something you're most proud of? 
I feel like there's a theme to this conversation around people <laughs> and relationships. And I think agree with Jan, fundraising and raising venture and building a diverse team is something I'm also very proud of. But I, I'm really proud of my relationship with Jan, our relationship, because to your point earlier, it's it's like a marriage and you have to work at a marriage. And we have our executive coach who helps. And I think for each of us, Every day we have to work and make sure that, again, the lines of communication are open, that we are being transparent with one another, that we are, you know, just working well and and our relationship is very solid. And I think it really is the key to a lot of our success. So I'm proud of the work that we've put in and I'm proud of our relationship as founders. As you both should be. Final question for each of you. I'll start with you, Kobe. What does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? I think it's about taking a risk and not being afraid to fail. I think, you know, Jan says this, but a lot of us have spent time in our lives trying to be perfect and not mess up. And she said something the other day that really resonated with me, which is, failure is feedback. And Mm -hmm. I just love that. And I think being an entrepreneurista is taking a risk, not being afraid to fail, and then doing something you love and that you're passionate about and putting your heart and soul behind it. I think those, that's, that's how I think about it. I love that. Jan, how about you? Kobe kind of stole my thunder, but (laughs) no, giving her a hard time. You know, I think being an entrepreneurista to me means building something that you think can truly change people's lives. It can be small. It can be big. It doesn't have to be changing the entire world, but you're trying to change something for someone and make their life better in some way. And that you get a front row seat to trying to make that difference. And I think that's a unique experience that not many people get. And so you have to feel it in your heart and your soul. You have to be willing to sacrifice, put all of your eggs in a basket and run after it. And it's challenging and it's scary. And there are days when you wake up and you're like, I would just like a paycheck that like I could just know that's coming and I don't have to worry about what's coming for 10 other people on the team, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. I think being an, uh, an entrepreneur is you're a little bit crazy at times. You're a person that has to be okay with, with taking risks and, and it's a challenge, but get on for the ride and just go. I think Kobe and I constantly talk about, you know, we don't think about the big picture too often because you get overwhelmed by it. It gets daunting and scary. Just do the little things every single day. Celebrate those small wins. Celebrate those little things because those are the things that add up that you forget in the grand scheme of things. And make sure that you're having fun. If you're not having fun one day or it's not doing what you want to do, you should walk away from it because you can't do this if you're not enjoying the ride. Such great advice. Jan, Kobe, I know we could sit and talk for hours right now. I have so many more (laughs) questions for both of you. So... We can continue this. Maybe we'll do an Instagram Live or a LinkedIn Live when this episode airs and can continue to continue the conversation. Uh, Thank you both so much for being here, sharing your story. Congrats on all that you've already accomplished. It's truly incredible. And I cannot wait to start using the Out of Office app and share it with everyone. Where can everyone find you, follow you and download the app? Yes, download the app in the App Store. It's Out of Office in the App Store. We are on... Instagram, TikTok, we're on LinkedIn. Our handle is take me out of office. So you can find us there. And we have some great content specifically on Instagram and TikTok around travel and travel guides. So it's really fun to follow us. Thank you again for being here. I'm Stephanie. And this was the best business meeting I've ever had. 
Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead. Mm -hmm.